we like kind of got the urge to just go for it and try to have sex. And it was at school in the bathroom in the handicap stall. I was not a very classy girl. Masculine tops. Power bottoms. Butch girls. Femme boys. Bears. Otters. Unicorns. There is no shortage of labels that queer people use to describe different sexual identities and preferences. But how do we navigate that horny, thorny path between realizing we're queer and deciding which boxes to check when filling out our dating profiles? Fruit Bowl explores the unique ways we develop our sexual identities by sharing the sometimes messy, always fascinating, real-life sex histories of queer people. Our first introduction to sex. The embarrassing moments we'd like to forget. And the reliable bedroom moves that we've discovered along the way. Basically, all the stuff we wish we'd known when we first came out. Interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Thanks for listening. Let's begin. Welcome to the Season 2 premiere of Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. When I was in 7th grade, I had a girlfriend named Carla. Well, her name really wasn't Carla because I'm giving her another name here to preserve her privacy. As a queenie, closeted citizen of small-town Kansas during the late 80s and early 90s, I knew that dating a member of the opposite sex was a matter of self-preservation. There was a bare minimum of straight-acting behavior that was required of me if I was going to survive middle school and high school. Being identified as a faggot would have meant social death, and I was already skating on thin ice. Actually, I was roller skating. One of my favorite, very unhetero pastimes was creating roller skating routines to popular songs in my family's front driveway. My songs of choice included hits by Laura Branigan and Wham. Also not helping me in the butch department, my refusal to participate in any team sports, an affection for Broadway musical cast recordings, and a rainbow wallpaper bedroom that I had insisted on before I knew any better. Things were going to have to change if I was going to avoid bullying and the humiliation of social exclusion. Soon the wallpaper was replaced and my skates were retired to the closet. Once seventh grade began, I started my search for a suitable companion who could serve as my beard. Carla was more at ease with her social status than I was. Perhaps it's because tomboys were given much more latitude than effeminate men when it came to appropriate gender behavior. Carla was on the soccer team and any athlete, male or female, was revered in Kansas. But Carla was also genuine and funny and had a comfy, relaxed relationship with the popular crowd, a group I desperately needed on my side. So I asked her out and actually built a friendship that was thankfully free from most of the obligations of adolescent relationships. Carla provided me a one-person test audience for all those embarrassing first attempts at performing heterosexuality. Holding hands, first kisses, passing notes, Valentine's Day gifts purchased from Spencer Gifts at the local mall, of course, and most important of all, dates for dances. Carla and I eventually broke up, but remained friendly. It wasn't long after I left for college that word got back to me that Carla had come out as a lesbian. I remember feeling the sting of regret for not having been more honest with her while we were both in high school. Another example of how queer people are often handicapped when it comes to our adolescence. Even if we come out to ourselves in an early age, we often don't have access to advocates in high school when we need them the most. In case you think it's easier now, 
This week's interviewee, Jerusha, may disagree. Raised in a conservative small town of Puyallup, Washington, Jerusha was in high school in the early 2000s. A self-described soccer jock, she made the same calculation that I did in high school and performed all the necessary hetero behavior. But Jerusha was much more ambitious than I was when it came to flirting with same-sex partners in high school. My name is Jerusha and I am 31. Um, I graduated high school in 2006. Um, I typically define myself as a lesbian and sometimes just throw down the gay card. I tend to be too twinky to be butch. <laughs> so I grew up in a tiny little town called Puyallup with a little fair. Um, yeah, and it was a pretty conservative little town. At the time, I would probably say 20,000 people max. So not, not super tiny, but also not super large. I've heard from my parents that are still there um, that it's getting more liberal, but definitely conservative at the time. My family was pretty straightforward. Um, my mom basically worked during the day. My dad worked at night, so it was mostly my mom and I. Um, and then my grandma was around all the time. Um, those three people in my family are very liberal. Um, mostly the rest of my family is mostly conservative. As far as my queer identity goes, my parents were mostly accepting. My mom was scared because of how conservative everything was. Um, she was just scared for my safety, but she was fine with the actual being gay thing. Um, my grandma, her response to me coming out to her was aunt. Um, and then my dad, it's just, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it a lot, so it's just one more thing we don't talk about. I mean, he knows, but he's just not, we're just not very close. When I first learned about sex was, um, Titanic came out in fourth grade. Um, and the Leo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet thing was a huge deal in my fourth grade class. So yeah, the scene with the, with the, the handprint is the first time I really considered sex a thing. <laughs> it's the only thing I remember from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking like, because my mom kind of got a little bit uncomfortable, like, and like kind of looked over at me nervously, like, do I have to explain this kind of thing? And I was like, oh, they're not just having fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't have a word for it specifically at that time. No, my mom just kind of let me come to my own conclusions. Um, it's the same reason she didn't get upset when I was 12 and sang along to Shaggy's wasn't me. <laughs> she was just like, you keep doing that. <laughs> We'll talk about that later. <laughs> a lot of my education around queer identity, it was mostly through movies. And my first celebrity crush was uh, Natalie Portman, specifically in Attack of the Clone Wars. Um, and specifically in that scene where they're like in the battleground coliseum kind of area. At that point, I was like, oh, 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 this is a thing. <laughs> Um, I think I first learned about queer sex when watching Cruel Intentions. 
uh, in like junior high. Um, but then I uh, actually understood it a little bit later when I made, once MySpace became a thing and there were like other queer people that I could talk to and stuff and they kind of gave me a little bit more context as to what that was. Mm -hmm. I wasn't just friends with Tom. <laughs> we had one computer, it was the family computer, it was downstairs. Um, we had one phone line, so there was never a guarantee that the download would actually like um, succeed, at least in the hour that I had between parents being home. Um, so no, not really. Um, you know, I think deviant art was about as close as I got. <laughs> it was surprising what you could find. Yeah. You just had to get creative. Yeah, and it was always easy to pick out when you had to clear the history. You could, I mean, deviant art, it doesn't look like any other. It even had a favicon before anything else really had a favicon. So you're like, delete, delete, delete. <laughs> <laughs> my mom had to talk with me. Um, at this point, my mom and I laugh about it, but um, she just basically said, so sex is fun and it can be very fun. Um, just keep an eye out and watch out be for yourself because sometimes some things can, you know, be a lifelong consequence. Mm. And she was just like, otherwise, you know, have fun with it. We definitely talked about HIV. One of my grandma's uh, friends uh, had AIDS and he got AIDS back in the 80s. And so, um, and he was on those old retro, like anti-retrovirals where he, like his face just sunk in and stuff. And so I asked my grandma one time when I was young, like, um, why does he look like a skeleton? And so then that was when they started telling me, like explaining like what that was. And just, you know, it was very young when, it, when I asked, but just progressively as I got older, they would explain a little bit more and give a little more context. I think it was easier for my grandma to explain it just because she worked as a, essentially a visiting nurse uh, thing back in the 80s. Um, so it was like the original hospice kind of idea. And uh, so she had a lot of HIV and AIDS patients. So for her, it was just like explanation number 642. <laughs> it was the early 2000s where like, and in a smaller town, like there wasn't really a vibrant queer scene that I could really tap into. Um, and I don't know, it was just kind of how I learned because most of my friends, we didn't talk about that as an option and we didn't really, you know, it was definitely a time of less being woke and more of just making gay jokes. So it wasn't really treated with the respect it should have had. My first boyfriend was actually queer. Um, we dated in seventh grade. There wasn't really a conversation around even possibly being gay at that point. Um, we were both, we both played sports and we were both in that like popular group, jock group, like gay wasn't an option. Um, even asking about it wasn't really an option. And then by senior year of high school, we had broken up long before then, but um, he went to a different high school and then we 
connected again later and he was like, I gotta tell you I'm gay. And I was like, hey, that's great. So was I. <laughs> so my first crush um, in real life was a really good friend of mine named Sarah. I think we had known each other since like sixth or seventh grade. Yeah, I think so. It was when I started playing soccer. Um, and so I didn't meet her on the soccer team, but I met her like through friends and parties and stuff. I had a total crush on her. Uh, she gave me lots of questions um, and challenged a lot of my internalized homophobia. <laughs> Sarah and I were very good friends. I just assumed that's like how you feel about friends because we were friends since junior high and I realized in high school um, one of my friends was talking about how she had a crush on this guy and she was describing the feeling and I was like oh that's that's not just a friendship <laughs> um, but yeah so she was definitely my first crush and definitely challenged that a little bit I would say the first time I kind of acted on a curiosity was at a house party. Um, I got the, the guts up to flirt with one of the cheerleaders and actually kind of flirted with her um, and just kind of saw like if that was a thing that I could like, get myself to do um, and if it felt good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we uh, kissed, but totally not in a gay way, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not for her, but definitely for me. Right. <laughs> definitely a gateway for me. <laughs> that kiss kind of led to a couple more makeout sessions that had a lot of hands moving. Um, but yeah, both of us were like too scared to go into the whole sex thing. Mm -hmm. um, and we both had boyfriends at the time, so. That was in 10th okay. grade. That was, yeah my first time fooling around with a girl. After I had, had that little flirtation, I kind of DL started dating a girl because um, I, I got my, my confidence up. And so I was like, oh, I'm gonna try with this other cute girl. Um, and we started dating. For some reason, we like kind of got the urge to just go for it and try, um, try to have sex. And it was at school in the bathroom in the handicap stall. I was not a very classy girl, but <laughs> that was definitely the first way I had sex. We, we kind of had started making out and then I was kind of like, I don't want to stop it. Um, and she was like, neither do I. And she was just like, come on. And I just went with it, so. <laughs> oh, what was attempted? Um, definitely a little bit of fingering. I kind of wanted to go down on her, but I didn't really quite know what to do with that. I was like, it's not giving you a, a blowjob, so I don't really know how that's gonna work. <laughs> so I went down and failed miserably. <laughs> I couldn't find anything. I didn't know what I was looking for. I was just going for it. And I think at some point she was like, okay, that's not working. And I was like, okay, let's try something else. <laughs> but I think I, at that point, I think I had gotten more worked up than, than her. And so I was just like, all right, if we're doing it, I'm doing it. Um, and she was a little bit more, I think she got a little bit gun shy. 
<laughs> I was definitely driving. <laughs> she was like the person holding onto the wheel on the side. <laughs> I don't think she had a lesbian experience before. Like I say, we were kind of on the DL, so we didn't really get super far into that kind of stuff. <laughs> Definitely far enough that it was more than innocent kissing, but we also kind of, it was interesting because I think neither of us were ready to come out to family or do anything like that. Um, so she and I would like kind of go on dates and stuff, but like primarily it was um, stolen moment kind of stuff. And like, we didn't really talk a lot about like deeper stuff. I think cause we both had that like very much internalized kind of problem. Yeah, and you're just like, I don't know how to actually date someone. <laughs> so I think it, it evolved into a little bit more um, because one of her friends caught us. So we kind of like were a little bit more open with some of her friends. Um, she was definitely more in the art nerd side of the school. So I think they were a little bit more open to the idea that that could be a thing. Um, so we were a little bit more friendly with them. I do have one awkward sex story. Um, it was when I was still really like kind of feeling out my, my queer self. Um, and I had a coworker who was like, oh, I kind of want to have a threesome with her and her boyfriend. And so we decided to go for it because I was like, I, I got to understand, like, what am I like totally into? Because I'd only had sex with like one woman and, you know, a 15 year old guy. So my option, I didn't have a breadth of great experiences on either side. Um, so I was just like, let me see how this is going to work. So I joined in and apparently he did not really want to have a threesome. And it really just turned into her and I having sex and he like wanted to be part of it but not he like couldn't get his way in so that was very like kind of embarrassing because then like at some point he was like all right so i'm just gonna go now <laughs> and i was just like oh my god <laughs> i just totally i was just like oh my god i'm a homewrecker i'm just gonna ruin everything it was yeah i think that was the last three waves ever <laughs> i was just like i can't I can't it's deal with that. Yeah. Inevitably, someone's going to pair off. <laughs> or at least that's, that's what I've heard from a lot of friends. I'm not that generous in a three-way. <laughs> um. The first person I truly fell in love with was... The woman who is in the process of becoming my ex-wife. <laughs> um, we met in college. I was her housing, or like uh, freshman orientation leader. And we kind of flirted for a few years. And then finally in s my senior year, she asked me out and we started dating. We like vibed hard on the first date and you know, we went through a lot together. Like, we were together for almost eight years. The confirmation that it was definitely more than a, just a date um, was the first time I kissed her. Um, it just, everything just flowed. It just went, and it was supposed to be just like a kiss, like goodbye kind of thing, and it turned into making out. It turned into me having to like furiously text the guy who was on the shift before me being like, hey, can you wait for a few? <laughs> like, 
It was it was definitely that moment where you're like, this isn't just gonna be a one night thing. I used to laugh that she was the first person to ever make me lose my game. Um, all of a sudden, I could barely stammer out, "How's the weather outside?" Like it was it was bad. Yeah, the best kind of bad. I would say my best move is to be able to seal it on the first date. Um, you know, I can like, I, I have a really solid game to um, get a girl to go back to my place. Um, that strategy is to come off hellishly interested in what she's got to say. Meanwhile, my hand is like on her leg and kind of just see like how she's doing and like kind of the little like get closer, kind of read it see what's going on and then they'll like lean in and then they'll like just like I usually go for the kiss on the cheek at first because that's an easy like yo that's not what I'm thinking you know like that's an easy out where no one feels super violated and then go for the kiss it takes a while I don't go super fast and I try to keep it so that it's like at any point it's like you kind of know what I'm going for but also at the same time like you can easily just be like no but we can keep the conversation going kind of thing because then, you know, you don't come off as, like, creeper. And then also, like, the way I see it is, like, if I'm going to be, like, putting the effort in on a date, um, means I kind of like the person, just as a person anyways, or at least I'm interested in them. So I don't want to, like, ruin the conversation by, like, trying to make an overt move until I'm like, yes, time for the overt move. <laughs> yeah, kind of, like, focusing on them, getting them to talk, and, like, just kind of, like, see what the banter is like, too. Kind of like if you can have a really good conversation with someone and keep that like physical spark going, then chances are you're gonna probably have pretty solid sex. Um, if you're because at least then you're like interested in each other and you're like kind of feeling each other out and you can kind of, you know, you can kind of gauge how well you can play off of each other in multiple arenas like the physical like touch and then also just in conversation you can kind of tell if you can vibe in multiple ways. I usually start with like a pretty like benign joke. I don't usually, especially with girls, like I don't say anything about like, oh, you have good hair or oh, that's a cute shirt or something like that. Like, you know, that's bland. Um, but usually like some kind of joke. I tend to like to go to like more or less queer bars if I'm going on a first date kind of thing because, or like from Tinder or something like that. Um, because then there's inevitably one straight guy who's going to be making a fool of himself, and then you can just kind of make a couple of little cracks about him, and then it just, like, you can keep, you know, you can kind of open up that little, like, place where it's like, oh, we can kind of judge, but not really. And um, Like, one of my favorite places is go to the Double Standard um, on Telegraph in Oakland, because uh, right across the street is the Burrito Express. So my, my goal was always, like, with you know, like on Tinder and stuff, it would be like, hey, let's meet at the Double Standard because they make really good cocktails that are like craft cocktails, has a really nice like bar environment kind of thing. And then if everything is going good, you can be like, hey, you want to go grab a burrito? And if you're down for one, a burrito at like 10 o'clock at night and also um, down for the spontaneity of that, then I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll see you again. <laughs> like, if you're like, no, then I'm like, cool, that's great. I'm going to close out the tab and then I'm going to go get a burrito and go home. <laughs> yeah. And then if you're just like, I don't even want to keep this conversation going, you just walk away and just 
go get a burrito. I mean, one way or another, you get a delicious burrito and you might get some arm candy as well. <laughs> if there is a way to have a bad Tinder date, it is definitely not with a burrito. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah, it's a good consolation prize. A lot of my f straight friends had figured out like at least the general gist of sex like in high school and like did it and I was like I figured out what I thought I knew about sex in high school and then that just got flipped upside down when I went to college and was in a much more liberal area and was able to actually explore my identity. Um, that was just, that was a surreal change. Definitely back in college, um, I totally misread this girl. Um, her and I had spent a semester flirting back and forth and everything. And it was the midnight of my 21st birthday. So like it was, uh, we went to QFC <laughs> and got a six pack of Smirnoff ice, orange. <laughs> um, ice be clay, you see. <laughs> and um, I, yeah. And we had a couple of Smirnoff ice and you know, the flirting got to a lot more and like, you know, hands were going everywhere and stuff. And it was like, okay, this is gonna go someplace. She pulled me over to her bed. I was like, sweet, this is gonna happen. And it did and like, halfway through I was kind of making a list in my head of like what I needed to pick up. <laughs> it was just like, and scene. <laughs> I'm gonna get through this so that we're not awkward at school tomorrow but what didn't work was just I guess we just didn't really vibe on a physical level you know like at some point it was just it went from being like fun flirty to but like once it turned into away from fun flirty and turned into like all right we're having sex like I guess the vibe just wasn't the same and just yeah you know, I was still pretty young and I was still kind of exploring. So I, I didn't really necessarily assume she was gonna be the top, but I kind of thought she might be um, because she did. Like she was the one that like pulled me over to the bed and like was going for it. And so I was like, oh, so you're gonna do this. But I hadn't really, at the same time, I hadn't really like figured out how that dynamic was really supposed to work. I mean, I was like, I think I was a sophomore and I so I was like just 21 and like just starting to really like get on my own two feet as far as like being queer and being like in the queer community. Um, I've only been thrown off once by this but I tend to kind of see how do they take charge at the beginning of everything. So when you're like kind of making out and stuff like that if there's like kind of a battle for who's gonna be like in charge, you're kind of like, okay, I'm pretty sure I know who is gonna be definitely down to to top for the first, at least the first round. There's a certain like sense that like they are taking control of the situation, you know, like they're kind of more, definitely more of a dominant personality almost. Especially for women, I feel like if you are going to be a pillow queen, you gotta also be able to top sometimes. Um, as someone who is a total pillow queen. <laughs> you gotta be able to flip that. When I say pillow queen, I, I mean 
yeah, definitely more submissive and definitely just like letting someone take charge. When I am a bottom, I, I like a dominant top. <laughs> I like someone who will take charge and basically just like fuck me hard is essentially what it is, you know, and basically make the call as to like how. Yeah, I'm just like a screaming bottom is really what it comes down to. <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of women don't really like to be like a one way or the other. So you got to be able to flip, even if you prefer one. Um, and when you, you know, and it's a totally different mindset. So you got to like be able to bounce between those. Like you can always tell with someone like how their body is feeling or how like, you know, how they sound or what they're saying or anything like that. Just read a body and that's, that's the way you can like get through really like a first time of having sex with someone and like do pretty well. And I mean, it's how like my, my current girlfriend like totally managed to pull it off even though apparently I was the first girl she's had sex with. So that was funny. I was like, nah, you're lying. <laughs> she's like, no, really. <laughs> when I have to like step up to the plate and be a top, like I kind of use myself as a reference. I'm like, okay, what do I want? Like, how do I usually like to start off and stuff like that? I mean, until you get to know them, you don't really have any markers. No one's gonna give you the cliff notes of like, okay, so <laughs> how I like to warm up. <laughs> Well, definitely making out is always the way to like do it in a way that's like pretty safe way to start because it's no, there's like no real pressure to it. I would say like the way to start with someone that you don't know um, is like make out, like maybe kind of take a little bit more control and stuff and don't necessarily go, don't go into like straight up dominant place, but just kind of like take a little more control and slowly take a little more control and just kind of be like, this is where I wanted to go. But also at the same time, allow them to have the space to be like, oh, I don't really want to go further or something like that. I feel like that also makes people be more willing to go further because of the fact that they can tell like you're not going to be, you know, it's not going to go into some nightmare experience. I guess hooking up now, um, I'm definitely a lot more confident in who I am. Um, I think when I first started hooking up, um, I would always have it in the back of my head, like, am I doing it right? Am I, am I okay? Do I look cool? Do I look like I'm, like, worthy? And instead now, I'm just kind of like, I'm gonna hook up. And if it's with you, that's great. If it's not, well, too bad for you. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I know who I am and kind of, like, I'm not trying to sell the reason why you should hook up with me like I did when I was younger and, like, being like, no, 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 really, I'm awesome, I'm great, you're totally going to have fun, I swear, and now it's like, no, <laughs> I don't have time for that. <laughs> it's the only thing that's truly binary right now. <laughs> if I could go back in time, I would definitely tell myself when it came to sex um, that I'm worth it, that um, I am valuable and that I, you know, my feelings around it are important and that just because it started doesn't mean I have to finish it. I can walk away. And then as far as around relationships, 
it's one thing to want to be awesome and easygoing and you know willing to do anything and yeah I'll come over at midnight kind of thing but in reality you need to set boundaries you need to set like this is what I'm gonna do and this is a hard line of like how I'm comfortable you know yeah relationships are a two-way street and like pay attention to how far they're going um, if they're not willing to go and meet you halfway then either reconsider where your boundaries are or let them go. Yeah. Don't try to make them anything more than they are. Don't put them on a pedestal. They're human just like you. They're gonna fuck up somehow. You know, you can't, you can't just expect that they're gonna be this perfect, ideal partner, because they're not. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily bad. It's just the truth. Yeah. And sometimes the truth stings a little bit when you finally realize that they're not perfect. This interview was recorded in September of 2019 in Oakland, California. Thanks to my friend Mike, who connected me to Jerusha. And of course, thank you Jerusha for trusting me with your stories. Are you interested in being interviewed? Find out more about the interview process at our website, fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can read a list of the questions I ask and answers to some frequently asked questions. Up next, my producer Tom and I talk about some behind-the-scenes developments for this second season of Fruit Bowl. Right after this message from our podcast partner, Gayest Episode Ever. Are you gay? Do you like TV? Did you grow up relating to the world around you through episodes of Who's the Boss and The Facts of Life? Do you have strongly held, often argued opinions about Vicky the Robot from Small Wonder? If you said yes to some of these questions, you may like our podcast, Gayest Episode Ever, where I, Drew Mackey, journalist, and I, Glenn Lakin, screenwriter and malcontent, look at the very special episodes that also happen to be the very queer episodes. The times when classic sitcoms decided that the special lesson being learned this week happened to be about something gay when maybe that was the only time you'd hear anyone in your household even say the word gay. Sometimes these old episodes hold up very well, and they handle gay plot lines better than some shows today. And sometimes they don't, to the point that maybe it would have been better if they just left the subject matter alone. We cover all your favorite shows. Seinfeld. The Simpsons. Frasier. That thing we call the John Goodman Show. All in the Family. Cheers. Golden Girls, of course. Designing Women. Dinosaurs, which totally did a gay episode. And Friends, which you're no longer allowed to claim as your favorite show and which is just living single with white people. We also talk about living single. To listen, head to gayestepisodeever.com or just search for the show on your podcast app of choice. That's Gayest Episode Ever, where we aren't actually trying to determine which episode is the gayest ever. But we do talk about gay TV. You can't say we don't talk about gay TV. Hello again. I'm here with Tom, co-producer of Fruit Bowl. Coming at you from my walk-in closet recording studio. What's been new this week, Dave? What's new this week? Oh, so many things. Um, well, I jerked off with a room full of guys. Where did you find that? <laughs> Is that what you meant? Oh, <laughs> yeah. we, we were supposed to be talking about Patreon. Well, I'll tell you the story anyway. Um, there's an organization here in Seattle where it's called Rain City Jacks, and you can go um and jerk off with um room full of men is it like 
equipped for this? Are there rules around this? Is yes. it just a warehouse of guys jerking off? It, there are a set of rules that you have to follow, which some people might think is annoying. I actually was comforted by the fact that that was sort of a structured environment. Yeah, they've converted um, a gallery into a sex club. Um, so they put away the art. You're not, like, jizzing on the art. <laughs> right. They actually cover it up with uh, fabric. Okay. <laughs> it's like burlap everywhere. Okay. It's more just, like, bed sheets. Got it. That are put placed over chairs and such. Okay. So that the naked people walking around right. can, can sit down and not worry about damaging <laughs> furniture. <laughs> right. Like, I get in trouble when I jerk off naked on most of the furniture of my house. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, but it's been going on for years here, and the the person who runs it, I'm actually going to interview. Nice in in this coming week. Yeah, so that interview will be featured later, and yeah, it's kind of a cool experiment on my part. I just wanted to go and check it out. I had no preconceived idea. Well, I guess I did in the sense that I've been to sex clubs before. Right. You've jerked off with guys before. Mm -hmm. Well, at sex clubs, it's much more open season Mm -hmm. in terms of... Anything goes. Yeah. Whereas at this organization, and this is why it's I consider it highly structured and sort of um, managed, is that they ask that patrons only jerk each other off their rule that they like to say is no lips below the hips. Got it. So, so there's rules as to where the hands, dicks, and loads can go, it <clears throat> sounds like. Yes. They can go on other people, if you like, but you have to ask permission. We have to ask permission before you come on someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also, people have to respect boundaries in that if, if you approach somebody and you kind of proposition them, they can say no. Right, and no thank you should be respected. Yes, the, the, if you're an asshole and you start, if you keep on trying to sort of hook up with somebody or jerk them off and you don't take the sort of social cues, then... The masturbation usher is going to come and see you out. Yes, the owner, okay. the, the people who are serving as basically the bouncers. There's right. there's a group of volunteers that... The that... dick docents. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> But the one cool thing is that everyone who's new to the event and to the space gets an orientation, and for lack of a better word. Um, and at first, I was a little annoyed because they they like they make you wait in order for one of the volunteers to take you and a, the group of newbies aside to kind of give you the pitch. Right. But when, when they finally did it, I actually really appreciated it because the guy who sort of describes all the rules and, and the situation is really thorough and also just a very nice person because it, it made me feel more secure in knowing what the parameters were and that everyone who came to the event went through the same orientation. So there wasn't any excuse for someone there to not know what the rules were. You're not actually allowed to wear clothing at the event. You can wear underwear, but not anything more than that. You can't be fully clothed and walk around. Right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. There's no tourism. No, but there is tourism in the sense that if you wanted to just go and observe, you could. Okay. You don't have to participate. Got it. And they even offer... um, Arm wristbands for mm-hmm. people who who prefer not to have to say explicitly that they right. don't want to participate. You can wear a red 
wristband, okay. meaning that you are just there as an observer. This makes sense, though. You I can also it. get a green wristband that says you're open to whatever. Mm -hmm. Got it. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've had some new experiences this week, Dave. I have. Do we have any new Patreon subscribers this week? Yes. Um, well, we have a sort of a backlog because <laughs> this is a first um, occasion that we are shouting out to our Patreons. We're full of subscribers. <laughs> That's right. The first one I want to thank and acknowledge is my friend Carlos, who was also an interviewee. Carlos. Carlos, yes. Carlos. Well, that, thank you, Carlos. We appreciate you contributing to us. <laughs> Carlos is a very sex-positive uh, person who's also been a great supporter of ours, and I really appreciate all of his, his support and encouragement with this project. So thank you, Carlos. And just to let you listeners know, we are going to do this every episode now and, and acknowledge our patrons and also sort of explain it, why it is that we actually need patrons in the first place. Obviously, we need money um, to produce the show. Um, and one reason why we need money, for example, is that the website is not free. Um, so that's a example of why we need funding um, on a consistent level. As we're producing the podcast, we're also recording new interviews. So there's sort of, uh, there's a lot of balls in the air. Um, I think Dave just said Patreon subscribers help him touch balls, but I'm not <laughs> totally sure. Yes. <laughs> um, money that we receive from patrons also helps us promote the podcast so that we can spread the word and get more listeners. Um, for instance, I recently went to Dory Alley in San Francisco and handed out postcards that promoted the podcast. Wow, that's a tongue twister. <laughs> um, also, um, travel both within Seattle to different interviews, um, equipment rental, purchasing. Patreon subscribers receive access to exclusive content, including post-interview discussions, additional interview content, and video-recorded content from our interview sessions. That's right. I'm not sure if uh, this is obvious on the part of the listeners, but every interview that I conduct for the project, I film in preparation for a feature documentary. So we have video of every single interview that we have yet to really dig into each of these videos is an opportunity for patrons to get a preview of a future Fruit Bowl documentary. Yeah. We'd also like to thank some of our listeners who have taken the time to write us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, we got a great review the other day. This one is from JB Dallas 70 It says, I have laughed a lot and felt validated by so many of these stories. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy that a bit of our queer history is being recorded to pass on to younger generations. That's awesome. Thank you, JB Dallas, for Fun. that review. Five stars from JB Dallas 70. Thank you. That's right. We currently have a perfect five star rating. Ta da! 24 ratings so far. That's great. And telling your friends, too, word of mouth is definitely something that really helps. Thanks to everyone who's spread the word and made any kind of donation. We really appreciate it. Um, at this time, I'd like to give a shout out here to some other podcasts that have been super supportive of us um, from the very beginning and have given us some much needed publicity. 
Many thanks to Matt Baum and his podcast, The Sewers of Paris. He is a prolific podcaster and YouTuber who has a lot of amazing things to say about queer topics. Also, check out Dennis Anyone. Uh, that's a podcast hosted by my friend Dennis Hensley, where he has conversations with lots of cool people, many of whom are homosexual. Thanks to Dave and Alonzo, notorious homosexuals who created the Linoleum Knife podcast about movies and TV culture. And finally, check out Gayest Episode Ever, where my friends Glenn and Drew pick apart episodes of TV shows that feature gay storylines and characters. It's kind of scary how much they know about TV. Is that it? That is it for now. Fruitful is a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved, bitches. Thanks for listening. Bye.